Today we will be looking at Baptist Catechism question 97, which asks, what is baptism? The answer is long, but we will break it into parts as we seek to explain its meaning. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament instituted by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized a sign of His fellowship with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, of His being engrafted into Him, of remission of sins, and of His giving up Himself unto God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. A wonderful answer to the question, what is baptism? We will read from Romans 6, 1-14. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. What shall we say then? The Apostle asks, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him, that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This now the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the teaching of the faith in this service even now. What a wonderful text that is that I just read. I'm tempted to preach the whole thing, but here it's being used as a text to to show us what baptism is, to help us understand what baptism is. You'll notice that baptism was indeed mentioned at the heart of this text, Romans 6, 1 through 14. I, I want to begin by reminding you that we have been considering how God takes the redemption that Christ has earned so long ago and applies it to His elect living in different times and in different places throughout the world. We know that Christ has earned our salvation. This He has done a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, we say. There is nothing left for Him or for us to do as it pertains to the accomplishment of our redemption. And we know that the salvation Christ has earned is received by faith in Christ alone. In fact, question 90 of our catechism asked, what does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? And the answer given was, To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. 
So to be saved, we must turn from our sins and trust in Christ. But now the question we are asking is this, how does God deliver or communicate the benefits that Christ has earned to us? And I think you would agree that there must be a conduit or a connection between God and us. There must be a connection or a conduit between Christ and us. All of these benefits are received by faith. But how do we come to how do we come to hear about Christ and his finished work so that we might believe in him? How does that happen? There must be some conduit or connection and the conduit or connection between us and Jesus Christ is the preaching of the word of God. We come to hear about Christ so that we might trust in him through the preached word. The word through is important. It in, in, it indicates that there is a means that God has established to bring us to Christ so that we might trust in Him. And how will we come to be strengthened and nourished in Christ? We know that God works through baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. God works through the ongoing ministry of the Word of God. This is how God's people are strengthened and nourished in Christ. This is how they come to to mature in the faith that God has given to them By His grace. And so we are considering now in our catechism these means of grace that God has established. He has given us His Word. He has given us baptism in the Lord's Supper. He has given us prayer so that we might come to Christ and mature in Him through these things. Today we are looking especially at baptism. The question is, what is baptism? And I do want to say something uh, in a kind of Um, tangential way here. Um, Understanding what baptism is is going to help us to know who it is for. Can you see what I mean there? If we understand what baptism is, what it signifies, then it is going to help us understand who baptism is for, that is to say, who it is to be applied to. I think you'll see what I mean in just a moment, and certainly we will see it in later catechism questions as we come to them. The answer given here to the question, what is baptism, is baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament. An ordinance is something that God has ordered or commanded. When you hear that word ordinance, that's what you are to think of. This is, this is one of the things that Christ, that God, has ordered or commanded his church to do. So it is an ordinance. And it is an ordinance of the New Testament. A baptism is, is a sign of the new covenant. It is an ordinance of the New Testament. So just as circumcision was a sign of the old covenant, starting with the Abrahamic, so baptism is a sign of the new covenant. All who our members of the new covenant are to be given this sign, therefore. All who are members of the new covenant are to be given this sign of baptism. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament. It is a sign of the new covenant, as we will see. The next words are these, instituted by Jesus Christ. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament, instituted by Jesus Christ. The precursor to New Covenant baptism were the ceremonial washings of the Old Covenant. Do you remember talking about that in our study of the book of Exodus? 
how the priests, when they were ordained, were to be, I'll use the word, baptized, and how they were to wash daily as they went to minister within the temple. So there is, there is an Old Covenant precursor to the sign of baptism, and we must see that the Old Covenant precursor was the ceremonial washings that took place within the temple amongst the priesthood. But baptism was ordered or instituted by Jesus Christ when He came to inaugurate the new covenant. When Christ came into the world to inaugurate the new covenant, He made baptism to be the sign of entry into the covenant. He said to His apostles, Go therefore, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John came baptizing. Jesus Himself was baptized. His followers were baptized. And they were commissioned to go and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was instituted by Jesus Christ. So baptism, like circumcision and the command to not eat of the forbidden tree, is a positive law. It is a law that is added to the moral law in connection with a covenant. Do you remember how God told Adam and Eve to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then offered to them the tree of life in the garden? Uh, That was in connection with the covenant of works that was made with them in the garden. A positive law was added. A sign was given to them that signified the nature of the covenant that they had entered into. We may see the same thing is true when God entered into a covenant with Abraham. He gave Abraham a, a positive law. He added something to the moral law and gave him the sign of circumcision. Now we see that something similar happens in the new covenant. A positive law is given to the people of God. A, a sacrament, a sign is given to them that is associated with the covenant that is here being instituted, namely the new covenant. Baptism is not a moral law. In fact, people would not know that they are to be baptized unless the Lord said to them, be baptized, right? It's not a part of the light of nature. It is not a moral law, but it is a law that God added in special connection with the new covenant. And it is to be unto the party baptized a sign. So here, baptism is called a sign. What are signs for, brothers and sisters? You've heard me talk about this before, haven't you? Signs are meant to point to realities outside of themselves, aren't they? We encounter signs all of the time. Uh, The grocery store has a sign on it, and it indicates that this store contains the food that you need. Restaurants contain, they have signs, and they signal that that food is served here in this place, etc., etc. Signs point to realities outside of themselves, and baptism is here called a sign. So baptism symbolizes things. Baptism signifies things. And it signifies things to the one who is baptized. It communicates truth to the one who is baptized. And our catechism has four phrases that follow which help us to see what baptism is a sign of. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament instituted by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized... A sign, first, of his or her fellowship with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So, when a person is baptized, it symbolizes the fact that this person has fellowship with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It is not difficult to see how baptism by immersion 
signifies this. A person is taken under the water, signifying their death and their union with Christ in His death. And they are brought up again, signifying their union with Christ in His resurrection. So, baptism is a sign of His or her fellowship with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. It is also a sign of His or her being engrafted into Christ, being united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. This one is united with Christ. The name of the triune God is placed upon people in the waters of baptism. They are set apart from the world and marked off as God's people through faith in Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual union that exists between this one who is baptized and Jesus. It is also a sign of remission of sins. It is not difficult to see how baptism signifies this. We We cleanse ourselves by being washed with water, and the waters of baptism signify the fact that sins have been washed away. Is it the waters of baptism that wash away sins? We say, no, the waters themselves do not wash away sins. But the waters signify the fact that sins are washed away through faith in Jesus Christ who shed His blood for us. So we are cleansed by the blood of Christ, and the waters of baptism do signify this. And then lastly... The waters of baptism signify his or her giving up themselves unto God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. They have been buried with Christ. They have been raised again to a new life, and they will walk in a new way from that day forward. You heard these themes brought forward very powerfully in the passage we read from Romans chapter 6, didn't you? Paul is there addressing the question whether or not those who have come to Christ by faith, should continue in sin so that God's grace may abound. You understand the false teaching that he was combating there, don't you? Uh, Some were saying, well, if it's by God's grace that we are saved, then it really doesn't matter if we go on sinning, does it? After all, God is gracious and loving and kind. And in fact, I guess an argument could be made that if we sin more, then God's grace is amplified more. By our sinning, we actually amplify God's grace. And Paul responds very strongly to that notion and says, by no means. What a ridiculous thought this is. And then he explains why it is a ridiculous thought, why it could never be. And he does remind Christians of their baptism. He reminds Christians of the fact that they have been baptized and therefore they have They have been baptized signifying the fact that they have been united to Christ by faith, that they have been washed by Him, that they have died to their old self, that they have been raised to a new life. The point is that those who have been raised to a new life cannot continue to live in the old way, but they must walk now in the new way. It's a beautiful passage there, and it does help us to understand the symbolism of baptism. Now, just a moment ago I said I, I think you will see that understanding what baptism is will help us to understand who baptism is for. And if I were to ask you, who is baptism for? By the way, our catechism will do that in the next couple of questions and answers. But if I were to ask you, who is baptism for, based upon the symbolism of baptism, what would you say? I hope you would say that baptism is for those of whom this sign is true. It is for those who have been united to Christ by faith. It is for those who have died to their old self, and have been raised to a newness of life. It is for those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, received by faith. It is not for the world, and neither is it for the children of believers. Uh, That, of course, is going to come into focus with the help of our catechism very soon. 
Uh, for there is that debate that exists between Reformed Baptists and Reformed Paedo-Baptists. Baptism is not for the children of believers, for the children of believers are born not into Christ. They are born into Adam. They are not born with their sins, having been washed away by virtue of their parents' faith. They are born in sin and need to come to faith in the Messiah. They are born not into the new life of Christ, but into the old life of Adam, and they must repent and turn to Christ themselves. And when they do, when they do, they are to be given the sign of baptism. These things must be true of them first before the sign of baptism can be applied, signifying these spiritual and internal realities. Uh, This is a beautiful teaching here, I think, brothers and sisters. Um, What I might ask you by way of application is, have you been baptized upon profession of faith? If the answer is yes, I would exhort you to remember your baptism. Do not forget it. Remember all that was signified there. Remember all that was said there. Remember what God said to you in your baptism. God speaks to those baptized, does He not? He he speaks to them through the sacrament. In in baptism, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is placed upon uh, those baptized. Do not forget that you are a child of God. Do not forget that your sins have been washed away through Christ. Do not forget that you have been raised to a newness of life. Now walk in that way. Do not forget your baptism. And if you have faith in Christ and you have not yet been baptized, then be baptized according to the command of the Scriptures. Uh, it, It might be the case that you are more advanced in years and you need to be baptized according to Christ's command. It may also be that you are young. Some of our children will need to be baptized in the coming years. And we should talk about that. Uh, We should talk about uh, the baptism of our children. We need to be sure that they understand the faith, that they have made a credible profession of faith, that their lives are being marked by repentance and faith, that their lives are bearing fruit in keeping with their repentance. We need to make sure of all of those things. But we we should desire to see our children baptized. We should pray for that. We should talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should urge them to turn from sin to faith in Christ and to be baptized according to the command of Scripture. I think you would agree with me, brothers and sisters, as we look around our congregation, we should expect to have many joyous moments in the not-too-distant future as we have so many young people being raised within this church. We have so many young people who have been taught the faith. May the Lord have mercy and bring them to the faith so that we might apply baptism to them. That will be a wonderful thing. Let's bow for a brief prayer, and then we will go to corporate prayer. Our Father in heaven, I do ask that you would help us to understand uh, these means of grace, and that you would help us to approach them with reverence and understanding, with love in our hearts for you and with faith. Help us to approach the Word of God, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer knowing that you do work powerfully through these ordinary things that you have set apart. Lord, we do pray that you would bless us to baptize many in the years to come. Lord, I pray that we would be able to baptize many converts who were not raised in the church, but come to hear the gospel through us. That would be a great blessing, O Lord, and we are praying that you would have mercy upon this land. But also bless us to baptize our own children and to bring them into the covenant community in this way. Lord, have mercy upon our children. They know the truths of the faith, but Lord, I pray that they would believe these truths. I pray above all else that they would run to Christ and trust in Him and cling to Him. And I pray that they would walk in the worthy manner that the Scriptures call them to. 
So show us this favor, O God, we pray. It's in the name of Christ that we pray these things. Amen.